Hello everyone and welcome to A Cast of Kings, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Game of Thrones. I'm David Chen and I've never read any of the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. My name is Joanna Robinson and I've read every book that has thus far been published as far as we know in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire as far as we know. Wow, Joanna Robinson, that was a really uh, unwieldy intro there. It didn't like just roll off the tip of my tongue? It didn't. It didn't. Huh. What's what's up with that? Oh, that's so weird. We got two emails this week, <laughs> uh, which took some exception with the way we did our introductions, and I was trying to do my half um, the way it was suggested. So let me let us know, listeners, <laughs> if you want us to change it up the way it was suggested we change it. Mm, mm, yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna, we're going to have to talk privately off the air about that, because I'm oh. uh, oh, not dear. sure if I'm a fan of those changes. <laughs> uh, but anyway... Uh, we, we do get the emails, we do listen, and sometimes when we don't listen to, like when we don't actually enact your advice, listeners, there may be reasons behind it. Uh, but we do appreciate all of the feedback at acastofkings at gmail.com. So what are we doing here today on A Cast of Kings? We've already done all the recap episodes for season four. Uh, today's bonus episode of A Cast of Kings is brought to you courtesy of Scene Magazine, uh, and one of the people that runs Scene Magazine is with us here today. He's our special guest, Micah Haley. Welcome to A Cast of Kings. Micah, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you doing? We are doing pretty well, sir. So tell us about Scene Magazine uh, and uh, what you guys do. Well, Scene Magazine is an entertainment magazine based in Louisiana. And as I'm sure you've heard, there's lots of movies being shot down here. We have a pretty amazing tax credit. And so a few years ago, I was working in the film industry, and a few of my friends and I decided, hey, we need a magazine to kind of tell everybody about all the amazing things that are happening in Louisiana. So that was five years ago, and now my office is on the lot at Second Line Stages in New Orleans, where American Horror Story is about to start shooting again. And uh, yeah, it's fun. We're, We're in the thick of it, and we're also expanding right now into Texas, where lots of Amazing movies are shot in Austin and then into Georgia, where lots of great shows that also deal with the apocalypse like The Walking Dead are shot. So it's pretty exciting. Excellent. And how can people find Scene Magazine if they want to check it out? Uh, our website is scene, S-C-E-N-E-E-N-T dot com. Very cool. Check it out at sceneent.com. And that's uh, S-C-E-N-E, like a movie scene. Uh, well, Micah, we are so grateful that you have uh, sponsored us on Kickstarter today to enable us to uh, tape this bonus episode. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to go over a lot of uh, your emails, a lot of your responses to uh, the Game of Thrones Season 4 finale. What that means is also we're going to spoil everything through Season 4 of Game of Thrones, a TV show, but nothing from future books uh, or any future plot developments for Game of Thrones, so uh, keep that in mind. Micah, especially, I have no idea how good your spoiler avoidance tactics are. Are you a, uh, are you a book reader or a show watcher, primarily? Uh, I'm kind of a hybrid of, of each of you. I, I watch the show primarily and then read up until the plot points that have mm. occurred on the show. Interesting. Do you find sometimes, though, that you... like? I guess one question I have as a show watcher only is, is it possible to easily avoid... Spoilers from future seasons? Reading the books that way? Uh, well, I've read the first two books, and I'm, I'm terrified to start the third book, so I'm waiting for Joanna's okay to say, yes, after the fourth season, you can go ahead and tackle the third book. General Robinson, weigh in here. 
Yeah, that's great. That's a question a lot of people actually ask me in on Twitter, which is how far can I read in the books without spoiling the show right now? And I would say you can read through. There's one thing that they haven't really covered in the show yet. Uh-huh. I wonder what you're referring to. No, no, no. I'm not even referring to that. I mean, that's that's a big thing, but that's just an epilogue. If you want to skip the epilogue of book three and read all the way to the end, you will get spoiled on one death that they've decided to move, but it's – I I think it's worth it. Um, of course, because I always advocate reading the books over any other thing. So, yeah, I, I would read up, up through the end of, of book three, and then it's just going to get even messier in terms of recommendations because they're about to go – all over the place, I think. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later in this episode. Um, so let's get to your emails very soon. You can write in to us at acastofkings at gmail.com. That's acastofkings at gmail.com. Find our web presences also at facebook.com slash acastofkings or twitter.com slash acastofkings. And you can find all of our episodes at gameofthronespodcast.com. But uh, Jonah Robinson... I think you have an announcement. Last week, we, we announced the uh, t-shirt contest that we're doing, right? We, we let you guys vote on the slogans. We do. Um, and we did. hundreds of people responded. Hundreds. Way more than I thought, guys. You're, you're, you're an engaged and, and actively voting community. Indeed. I Frighteningly it. engaged. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, we have two winners from that contest, and then we have an outlier that's actually an import from another podcast I do call A Storm of Spoilers. So we're going to have three shirts available for you guys uh, within the next two weeks or so. We'll have an, more announcement about the information as well as the first design, which is really cool looking. But the two slogans that made it in from the voting contest are How to Chain Your Dragon and the sort of more plain cast of kings we do not spoil underneath. And that's for people who were not really on board with the idea of having a big slogan but wanted a cast of kings shirt nonetheless. So we decided to combine those two. We're going to give you three options. We've got the Adam Borden who designed our, our podcast logo working on the design right now. And I'm really excited to bring that all to you. So so keep an eyeball on facebook.com slash a cast of kings on either of our Twitter accounts on the uh, the cast of King's Twitter account, and we'll have all the information about how to get those shirts. Yeah, and if you want to find more of Adam's work, just go to adam-borden.com, B-O-R-D-E-N.com. Really grateful to him for uh, doing some of the logo work for uh, Cast of Kings as well. So, uh, yeah, so stay tuned to our Facebook and Twitter pages. Should be a lot of fun. I've seen the designs, uh, and they are super cool, so I'm looking forward to it. All righty. Let's get on with the show then, ladies and gentlemen. Let's, let's do this thing. Uh, let's start with a, a relatively easy question. <laughs> um, this one comes in from Mary in Austin, Texas. Uh, dear Joanna and David, kudos on another great Game of Thrones podcast season. As we appear to have seen the last of Rory McCann as the Hound, I'd love to hear your thoughts on if you think he is the most tragic character in Game of Thrones, at least so far. I found him compelling in the books, but Rory's performance really drove home just how piteous the Hound's life and fate is, even in light of this brutality. Thanks again for your hard work on the podcast. Uh, so thanks to Mary for that email. Uh, before I ask, before I go to Micah with this question from Mary, uh, I, you know, a lot of people did bring up... So I actually recently posted John Robinson my... Um, top 10 moments from Game of Thrones Season 4. Yeah. And one of them, so you can find that at the Facebook page, at facebook.com slash cast of kings. One of those moments was uh, Arya leaving the Hound to die painfully and slowly. It was a very heartbreaking moment. 
And a lot of people interjected that, well, we didn't actually see him die. Uh, and I guess that's true. Uh, I don't. I don't know if it's asking you to spoil anything to indicate one way or the other. I guess what I would just say is, uh, all the language on the show seems to indicate that the hound is dead, and um, I mean, I guess there could be a like even the hound said, unless there's a maester right behind there, uh, behind that rock, I'm doomed. Uh, so I guess maybe he could still be alive. I just. I don't know. I don't feel like that's going to happen. That being said, in the same episode, we did see the mountain uh, almost like presumably he's going to come back to life in some horrifying way. So anything is possible. Do you have any thoughts you can share without spoiling anything, Jonah Robinson? Nope. Okay. (laughs) Well, then regardless of whether the hound is dead, Micah, (laughs) um, do you think he is one of the most tragic characters in the show? Or the most tragic character thus far. You know, it was, it was certainly difficult to watch him die. And I thought that the scene between him and Arya was some of the best acting this season, which I think was filled with great acting. But it's hard for me to pity somebody who has just done so many terrible things. It seems it seems more like to me that he has been almost inhuman for most of his adult existence or his existence on the show. And just just towards the end, maybe on this journey with Arya, she humanized him a little bit. But I think that I just have a hard time believing that he doesn't deserve a lot of the terrible stuff that's happened to him. Anything, any thoughts on this, John Robinson? Um, I like what Micah said about sort of, you could say that it's quite tragic for the Hound to be cut down in the middle of his redemptive arc or at the beginning, the stuttering starts of a redemptive arc. (laughs) Right. Um, That is quite tragic. But I think if we want to say most tragic character on the show, I mean, how can we not vote for Ned Stark? who was brought down by his own honor, you know, like that's in terms of most tragic. Um, but well, I will give some tragedy to the hound for sure. I guess uh, a couple thoughts. Firstly, uh, you know, that was an interesting way you put it, Micah. My, my response, I guess, is like, have we, we've seen the hound do some pretty despicable stuff, but I feel like a lot of it was just him being uh, like a soldier. Like a lot of it was just him acting under the orders of King Joffrey or or the the Lannister regime, you know, uh, I don't feel like uh, he like while he took pleasure in killing. I don't think he, for example, took pleasure in torturing to death. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I don't think he was like one of the most despicable characters in the show. I think he just he had some bad cards dealt to him. That's kind of how I feel, and happened to also enjoy killing a lot. And happened to be very good at it. <laughs> I mean, but he killed he killed a young innocent butcher's boy. Like that's our main introduction to. But the he was under or he was following oh, orders. You know, Dave. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> that's Dave. Like that's defending a Nazi or something. I know. That's. Uh, I think in a few good men they say uh, that's an argument that didn't work for the Nazis at Nuremberg. It's not good. It's not going to work for you, Dave Chen. Uh, well, okay. First, I'm not making it for myself. I'm just making it for the Hound. But okay, point taken. Point taken. <laughs> and secondly. Uh, what was the point that you made, John Robinson? Um, oh, yeah. So why is the Hound more tragic than Ned? I think because at least Ned uh, had his honor, right? Like, there was some sort of nobility to his death. Actually, I mean, I guess he did lie uh, in hopes of mercy, but he did it to try and save his daughter. Um, 
I don't know. I guess I feel like there was somewhat there was somewhat more nobility in Ned's death, uh, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, so. but you, he was taken down not even by a tragic flaw, but by a heroic quote unquote flaw in a corrupt universe. Whereas the hound, what the hound gets ultimately is his just desserts. Honestly, right? Yeah. No, I think we so, can agree. With, I can agree with yeah, that. And yeah, yeah I mean. Uh, um, I was referring to like the proximate cause of his execution, but in fact, what really caused him uh, to to go in a bad way was uh, was him basically backing up Stannis, right? Is it like? If it's I'm a- ha- I think it's hard to source exactly what <laughs> right. brought it down. It's like trying to source what started the war. Right, right, right. Um, well, in any case, he always tried to do the right thing, unlike the Hound. And uh, and it led to his undoing. And I guess that's yeah, that's ultimately why I feel like he's less tragic because he he had some sort of code that he was at least trying to adhere to. Whereas um, the Hound had nothing; he just had he was left with nothing at all at the end. So, all right, uh, let's move on. Uh, this email comes in from John from Dayton, Ohio. Uh, John writes in. Uh, he John sort of included this image of Brienne at this crossroads uh, in the show. Like uh, there's like a fork and then she has to choose whether to go left or right. And John writes in, quote, Despite its missteps and inconsistencies, I believe that season four will be remembered for its courage as the year when Game of Thrones asserted its autonomy from the books at the risk of alienating large numbers of Fire and Ice fans. Most, not all, of this season's controversies seem to stem from dissonance between book and adaptation. Even the unfortunate rape confusion of episode three was exacerbated by comparisons between book and TV. Here at the end of season four, it's now obvious that the book reader comparisons and expectations and the two-tiered system of recap slash review that has grown up around Game of Thrones will become less and less relevant with each new season, for better or for worse. That scene in Mockingbird of Brienne and Pot at the Fork in the Road is now more than just a Robert Frost cliché. It's emblematic of the entire season. The dilemmas of adaptation, Benioff and Weiss choosing their own course, uncertain book fans debating whether or not they're still along for the ride. Fire and Ice's Brienne chose the fork on the left and wandered the Riverlands. Game of Thrones Brienne chose the fork on the right, off to the Erie and a showdown with the Hound, because it makes for great television. Let's applaud Benioff and Weiss for their guts, while also keeping our fingers crossed and doing our best to overlook their mistakes. End quote. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to start with John Robinson here, right? Um, And John is saying this is a courageous season where they, you know, uh, diverge from the books in huge ways. And uh, and the show really kind of stood on its own legs, got confidence, and now it's its own thing. Uh, Do you agree? And do you think it's a a good development for the, the, the universe of Game of Thrones? First of all, I want to say, aside from being like a really astute and interesting email, the fact that he included an image really bumped it up to 11 right. for me. And he so. went back somehow <laughs> and got that screen cap. So, um, you know, folks, just, I mean, just put a little more effort. And, no, I'm just kidding. Um, also, the only, my, my only issue with this uh, email is that he keeps referring to it as fire and ice. Is that, yeah. I, I thought it was a song of ice and fire. Is that a thing? Yeah. Or? No, I think he's just using shorthand. I see. Okay. Well, thoughts. Um, my thoughts are um, courageous, I think, is a good word because it is courageous. Not every courageous act is the best act, right? Well thought out. <laughs> but but it, is, it is definitely courageous. Um, the big question that I was talking about on 
the spoiler podcast is from spoilers, so in more detail, and I'll talk about it vaguely here, is now that we know that the upcoming seasons are going to be more and more divergent, which we had an idea of, but now that we've actually seen it play out, we know for certain, do we trust Weiss and Benioff in the changes that they've already made? Do we trust that the changes they make going forward are going to result in the best, most satisfactory story? Leaving aside the fact that there will always be some sort of grumbling about like, oh, well, there wasn't you know, 20 scenes about lamprey pie, so it's not Game of Thrones. Um, So, and and my answer to that is mixed. I agree that the Brienne and Hound fight was better television. It was was a great decision. That fork in the road decision was the right one, and I think we all agree that the Hound versus Brienne was one of the highlights of the finale. But the other stuff we've talked about, which we got some emails about as well, which is the Tyrion stuff... I understand how it makes for clearer television, but I don't agree that it makes for better television. So I feel like I'm going to take a cop out and give it a wait and see. No, I think that's completely reasonable. But can you uh, elaborate more on this Tyrion stuff? Uh, We talked about it a bit on air last week, but just the motivation of Tyrion as to why he goes up and sees Tywin in the first place, why he kills Shay, why he kills Tywin, and... The idea that in the book it's much darker, you know, that he's fighting with Jamie, that he's doing all this stuff, that it's just a much darker Tyrion. And the idea that they didn't want to show that on screen because they want to give us something to latch on to and we like Peter Dinklage so much. The other side of that being to reintroduce this backstory of Tyrion's first wife and all of that would make for very confusing television in the finale and would slow everything down. So while I understand that thought process in terms of adaptation, I do regret that that means we lose the darker portrayal of Tyrion, if that makes sense. We got a lot of, uh, a lot of tweets and comments. Uh, this, this comment from Rob is indicative of a lot of um, response. Rob writes in, I'm disappointed that Dave's opinion of Tyrion is lowered. Tywin was relentlessly terrible to him. And Shay's betrayal... Both kills were cheerworthy moments to me, as Tyrion had been screwed over and humiliated too many times to count. The time for clever witticisms had long passed. I found Tyrion's violent acts both justified and vindicating. It's odd that some are saying this was supposed to play any other way. Uh, my response to that, I guess, is just the bar for killing a defenseless person is pretty high. Like, it's pretty high. I mean, when you have a clear exit route... Uh, the bar for killing someone is pretty high. I mean, this is true when I took, you know, intro to law in college, how uh, there was a debate over, let's say someone had robbed your house and was on the way, like literally running away out of your door, far away from you. Uh, Can you shoot that person with a lethal weapon? Like, is that something that you're justified in doing? And for uh, a lot of, uh, in a lot of places, the answer to that question is no, because you are using lethal force against something that is not a threat to your own person. Uh, And so not to say that I go by, like, I think the laws of the United States should map to uh, Westeros, but I do think (laughs) there's something there about this idea that if if someone does not pose an imminent threat to you, in the case of Tyrion, Tywin was certainly not an imminent threat. Um, and, you know, in the case of Tyrion, he's on his way out. He has an escape path all mapped out. Uh, the bar to, 
to like justify killing someone in that case is really high. And I don't think what we saw on screen justified it, in my opinion. And therefore, I, I agree with the interpretation that... I mean, I, I did think it was very dark, and I stand by that. So, But uh, let me ask you, Micah. I mean, what did you think of that death? Did that, you know... Uh, give you a more negative impression of Tyrion after seeing it, uh, or you know, were you? I, did you stand up and cheer when that happened? Well, I view I view the death of Tywin and the death of Shay as two very different uh, two very different incidents in terms of determining the guilt of uh, of Tyrion. I, I feel like he, I think he deservedly killed Tywin. I think that Tywin's heaped enough injustice on 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 um, Tyrion in his lifetime that. Tyrion was probably justified in in killing him. Uh, when you couple what's been done with uh, Tyrion, with the knowledge that Tyrion has of um, of all the horrors that Tywin's committed, I mean, he knows that Tywin, you know, killed the Starks. He knows that Tywin has done all of these horrible deeds. So I think you know Tyrion is a smart enough guy that he realizes that regardless of his own personal feelings, he's probably doing the world a favor by killing Tywin. But I do view the his uh, his killing or his murder of Shay very differently. I think that Shay, uh, much more than Tyrion, is a victim of circumstance and really had you know many fewer paths that she could have taken. So I think that you know that was something that I would I would certainly damn Tyrion for. Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, how do you figure? You know, she she also kind of had a an escape route. No, like Tyrion was like, here you can have all this money, you can have everything you want. So, uh, in what way do you feel like she was forced into this situation? Um, I, I won't say that she's necessarily forced into it as her only option, but I, I do think that she had far fewer choices than Tyrion. And um, my guess is that Tywin made her an equally attractive offer or, or, or at least positioned her in such a way that uh, – that it seemed like her best interest was to stay there. I think that she's just operating with far fewer resources than Tyrion, and I, I, I don't know. I would. I, I just feel more a lot more for her than I do for Tyrion. I just want to interject real quickly. Like, we don't know for certain how it all went down on the show, nor right. do we necessarily on the book. We have Shay's word for it. But if you think that they stopped Shay at the docks. Like, you know, Tyrion demands that Shay gets them all out. You think they stopped Shay at the docks and said, cool, you can go or stay and we'll give you more gold. Like, if you think there wasn't also an implied threat of you're going to die or you're going to stay and do this for us. And that was, I believe, Shay's option. I'm not, I'm not even using book knowledge for that. I'm just saying the way the Lannisters operate, I don't think they were like... Stay or go. We don't care. Right, right. You know, that makes sense. That's Th- that makes sense. Yeah. And I guess... Uh, you know, it helps to talk it out now and just kind of reconstruct what exactly happened because that that is not given to you in the show. Uh, like I, I had, I literally had no idea how Shay wound up back there. Right? Like maybe she chose to. Maybe she was like, ah, oh, you know what? I'm just gonna stick around and like I, I just didn't have enough information. But in your opinion, it was like. Well, and the way the way the show played it out, it kind of seems like Braun might have been involved, actually, because because she he entrusted Tyrion entrusted her to Braun's care, right? And Braun says she got on the boat; she's fine. That's right. what he said to Tyrion. And so, once again, this isn't book knowledge. This is just you know, as well as a book reader watching that scene, I'm like, wow, is Braun just completely lying to Tyrion <laughs> right now? And that's a huge betrayal, right? Um, 
And right before that, this is all around the Purple Wedding, around Joffrey's death. Right before that, Cersei points Shay out to Tywin. And she said, that's the whore that my, like, servant saw, right. you know, with Tyrion. And Tywin says, have her brought to the Tower of the Hand. Right. Right. So that's, you know, that's the trail. So the fact that, like, Shay betrayed him, like, yeah, she's she's work, she's operating with her own wounded feelings there. And she could have pretended – she could have protected Tyrion to her death. But if that was her option to someone who threw rocks at her and told her to leave, basically. <laughs> so her option was to die for him or to betray him, she betrayed him. Right. And, and so I completely agree with Micah that she just had – very narrow path she could tread there yeah okay that helps uh okay this email comes in from tommy uh who just wanted to correct something that i said last week we should have done this at the beginning i apologize but tommy wrote in uh that um let's see i basically remarked on how mance's men seemed to be totally ruined really quickly last week uh and according to tommy here mance and his men had no shot the cavalry plus pincer movement plus ambush against an unawares foe would easily make short work of defenses in Mance's situation. Um, They had no shot at adequately defending themselves against such a well-organized attack. Unless properly defended, cavalry will make short work of infantry any day. Combining the fact that we're talking about cavalry versus infantry, it is infantry caught unawares, and by a pincer move, Mance's men probably cut down a few of Stannis' men, but not enough to make a difference. What we saw happen is pretty realistic as to what would actually happen. And, uh, end quote, Tommy actually provides a good example. Uh, The Battle of Adrianople. Uh, Apparently, this same pincer movement was used, and uh, so... It is very true to life what happened with Mance's men last week. So thank you for uh, thank this, you for the email. Go ahead. This podcast, this is like the Godwin's Love podcast because the Nazis also use the pincer movement. So we'll just keep we'll keep bringing it back to the Nazis. <laughs> yes, it sounds like a good idea. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Mike from DC writes in. Are you worried about the show going forward based on your reading of the books? Uh, we have had so many great and complex characters killed off these past four seasons, including Ned, Tywin, Oberyn, Catelyn, and the Hound, that I fear the people we are left with might not give us an interesting enough story. Uh, plus, you had mentioned that books four and five were not good, so I fear the story and characters won't be as exciting. Uh, so, you know, this is a question for John Robinson primarily, but, Micah, I guess one question for you is, you know, are there any characters remaining that you feel particularly attached to at this point? Oh, yeah. I, I will. Arya, for one, uh, I feel very attached attached to her and Jon Snow. I feel like this show does a great job at at uh, making us care for all the characters, whether they're villainous or, or sort of heroic. Although, obviously, if you think they're a hero, the showrunners are going to subvert that expectation at some point. But uh, I, I think that that's one of the the great successes of the show is they they kind of break down those tropes and everybody plays a, a different role at a different time. And I think Arya is the perfect example of that as someone who was so innocent and, you know, did some things that were heroic. And now it's, it's hard for me to see her as anything other than someone who's deciding to be a villain or, you know, at best, not a hero. Right. Uh, she's probably the character I have the most attachment to in terms of like what her fate will be. Her and Sansa, I think, are are still pretty compelling. Joanna Robinson, your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like you and I have talked about this on the show, but I was really thinking more and more about the shift in the show from 
being about the Starks and as they dwindle in size to instead shifting to be about the Lannisters, Cersei, Jaime, and Tyrion, um, and Tywin, rest in peace. Um, but I think I think this ties back into that earlier question of do we trust Weiss and Benioff to go off book more and more and still create a compelling show? And I, I think that's the show's best chance. I mean, this this was the the article that got me in trouble that I wrote over on VanityFair.com, which is that the show is telling a better story than the books. And the reason I said that is because they are taking these departures, so they're willing to excise some of the more problematic parts of the uh, two subsequent books in the series. A lot of people disagree with me. A lot of people really love book four and five. So that's shocking. I've never met those <laughs> they are people. They're coming out of the woodwork. In real life, but it's <laughs> nice to know that they exist. Um, and it's just, yeah, a lot of people have been killed off. The game has been changed in a lot of ways. Um, we don't know, like, you know, it's a big question mark. Who's going to take over in King's Landing, right? Tywin was the power behind the throne. What's going to go on there? Um, change of the guard up the wall. We've got Stannis up there. It's like a huge shuffle at the end of, of book three. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, I, a lot of stuff happening. I'm looking forward to seeing how it all turns out. Are there any, I mean, is it possible for you to say which characters you're most rooting for without spoiling anything? Don't you think that's spoiling something? Because if I say <laughs> yeah, you're who right. it is, you're like, well, great. Now I know they don't die in the first chapter of the next book. So. <laughs> wow, you no. already – that's a really – first of all, that's a really good Dave Chen imitation. <laughs> um, good impression. And secondly, not necessarily because, uh, you know, maybe it's a tragic death that you really enjoy or something. No, I, I'm just joking. You don't need to say anything. I, I shan't. Okay. Um, this email comes in from Michael A. Michael A. writes into a cast of kings at gmail.com. Uh, As a book reader, I believe the brand plotline has been the one that has been the most botched by the show. I don't like comparing the books to the show that much, but I will for this storyline because I think it illustrates another way to view the brand character arc that is perhaps more satisfying. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to read through this whole thing, John Robinson, but... Uh, basically, Michael makes the point that uh, – or actually, here, let me just read the last paragraph, which is what I did in college for, for long essays. <laughs> um, I believe a, a, a once, uh, one summary of the show's version of Brand's storyline is, child realizes he has magic powers and must figure out how to use them. That's not uncommon uh, – that's not that uncommon or fulfilling of a story. I think one, a one-sentence book version of Brand's storyline is, child loses ability to walk in unforgiving world and must find other way to interact with it. That's a lot more powerful and fulfilling of a story and something that a lot of people could conceivably identify with. I think the fact that Benioff and Weiss have pursued the former at the expense of the latter is a disappointing diminishment of the Bran Stark character, end quote. Uh, so question for you, Micah Haley. What do you think of the Bran storyline? I mean, I personally have found it to be pretty uh, unsatisfying myself. You know, there are parts of it that are unsatisfying. I would say if I had to choose my least favorite storyline uh brands would probably be up there uh but i i did find the payoff this season pretty satisfactory and you know th- th- obviously i haven't read all the books like joanna has but you know the what i what i have heard the sort of behind the scenes info that um that i have from sources that are pretty close to the production is that you know, obviously, uh, George R. R. Martin has a history of writing television, and he, in fact, did that before he wrote these books. So he's, you know, very aware of of how 
uh, how television shows are written and you know the structure and whatnot. And it, it's always been my experience that anytime a writer is revisiting his own material, he'll he'll try to rewrite it. So even if he's not the person dictating exactly how he wants the character arcs on the show to go, I have to I have to imagine that he's um, a trusted consigliere to Benioff and Weiss and. And I think that that you know I think that I had a lot of questions about the show's ability to carry on after the third season and maintain such a high level of quality because you know from everyone I, I know that's read the books they they uh, for two reasons one for everybody I know that's read the books the Red Wedding was just such a powerful moment that it it, it was just something that's inherently difficult to top and two because I think uh, Benioff and Weiss have been very public about the fact that. Uh, the events in season three were the reasons that they did the show. So I, I think that just from the perspective of somebody that is creating a piece of art for others to enjoy, if you yourself are not inspired or not as inspired, it's hard to uh, it's hard to you know keep the level of quality up. But I think this season just dispelled all of those concerns in my mind. I really think season four is the best season. And uh, I rewatched it this weekend while I was working and just I was just blown away at how even it is, how every episode in and of itself is of such quality. And I, I felt that the payoffs in the last episode, I really feel like we got three finales this season in episode eight, episode nine and episode 10. Hmm, interesting. Uh you know, to this emailer's point about the brand storyline and how effective it was, I think one of the things that uh, this whole plotline of child needs to discover how to use his powers in an unforgiving world and use his magic as a way of uh, of adapting to the fact that he can no, lo- lo- no longer walk anymore, that whole theme was implicit to me in the brand storyline. I just feel like the show never really paid it off in any uh, satisfying way. Um, and I think you get much more, you know, because the book allows for character background building more so than the book, uh, than the show, which has to show you through action, through decisions, through active interaction with the characters, what their, right. you know, goals and dreams and lives are. You lose, you do lose some of that about Bran and his obsession with the knights and how he wanted to be a knight and how climbing was his everything. You know, we get like uh, five minutes of that in, in the pilot basically, that Bran likes to climb everywhere, and that's why he fell in the first place. He was always climbing. He was always very active. And so I loved this email so much because uh, it actually unlocked something that I hadn't really even thought about in terms of of book Bran and how this becomes his new way of interacting with the world and, and, and why we get so many scenes of Bran finding out about the background history of Westeros from Jojen and Mira, which I've always complained has been cut out of the show because it makes for boring ass television, but compelling, a compelling read. And it's not only a narrative device to cram all this Westerosi history into the books, but it is because that's Bran's interest. He wants to know about the knights and, you know, the deeds of valor and that sort of stuff. And so, I I just think it's a really interesting way to look at it. And as I mentioned in our last episode of Cast of Kings, they're basically at the end of the brand storylines in the books, which means that Weiss and Benioff, and, and as Micah said, maybe with their conciliary, George R. R. Martin, can start doing more dynamic and interesting things with brand and pluck out those themes a little a little bit better, possibly. My biggest problem with the way that the show depicts brand is that in season one, 
he looks like a five-year-old, and in season four, he looks like a 45-year-old man. <laughs> so that's – I don't that's think that's a, really the show's fault. It's those eyebrows. Why don't they do something <laughs> about those eyebrows? He does He does look considerably older today than he did. I, it, just, it really – every time I watch I watch his scenes, I, I find myself asking – I feel like the – time constraints of the universe are coming to bear on this kid and i just think like how, how long have they been out there for he's grown up so much obviously hoder is having more trouble carrying him <laughs> maybe that's why we haven't seen rick in this year is that kid like shot up two feet or something like that and, uh, <laughs> they don't want to show it all right uh you know john robinson i have this one email from thomas from france uh about uh sexual violence on the show should i get into this Let's ask Micah. Micah, are you itching to talk about this? Do you want to wade into this conversation? Uh, Yeah, sure. Let's go. Thomas writes in, uh, he's talking about the scene in season four, episode six, specifically, quote, when Reek gets his reward of a bath from Ramsey Snow, they make a big point of Reek being hesitant to remove his trousers due to, we can only assume, lingering fear and humiliation from his castration. Reek, of course, does as Ramsey bids, but tastefully, we don't see any of his mutilated male parts. But then I remembered the rather gratuitous pan-up on Roz's body. I think it's called a tilt, actually, not a pan if you're going upwards. But uh, Roz's body back in Season 3 and the discussion pertaining to that. If overtly displaying the sexual violence inflicted on this tertiary character was relevant, surely seeing the fate of one of our main characters is as well? The Raw's debate has come and gone, but I do think the show's hesitance to depict sexual violence against men, even when it's a very important character moment, does lend fuel to the argument that the nudity in general, and the Raw scene in particular, has at least as much to do with sex marketing as it does with characterization. Um, the tasteful treatment of Theon's body is particularly noticeable because it comes not after, I'm sorry, it comes after not one, but two scenes where topless women are present for no real plot purpose, end quote. Um. So, <laughs> Joanna Robinson. Uh, th- well, I, actually, before you chime in, I will say that if I'm if I recall correctly, one of the scenes that he's referring to with the uh, naked woman, the topless woman, uh, for no plot purpose, was actually did have a plot purpose, as I recall, with the Melisandre being nude in front of Stannis's wife, right? I think that was our like assessment of it. Right. That there was there was at least some purpose for her. That was our interpretation. Right. Uh, although but there actually, is there was no reason why that naked lady was on top of Ramsey, right? Right. Yeah. That was just plain gratuitous. <laughs> yeah. So, thoughts on this? I mean, are there any other characters for whom sexual violence any other men against whom sexual violence has been inflicted? Well, I mean, we've got several castrated men, right? We've oh, got Varys, right, yeah. we've got Grey Worm, and we've got Theon. I think that's it. Um, you know, and Grey Worm has spoken a bit about it, but I agree that like, and especially since, um, a lot of the pushback we get when we talk about this, this gendered nudity equality on the show is like, well, you can't show a penis on, on TV or whatever. Just, you know, they, they've even shown Theon's penis before. So like, but that, that is something that comes up. Well, okay. It would be actually a wound rather than a penis, wouldn't it? Or, or... Well, hold, hold on. This gets into the pillars and the stones question. But anyway. Well, actually, if I may just interject here, just say, just say that, like, where that comes from, if I, if I may speculate, is that um, for, like, uh, the MPAA ratings board for, like, movies, 
an erect penis is worse than a thousand guns and their accompanying deaths for some reason in terms of ratings. Like if you show an erect penis, it's like rated X or NC-17 automatically. Right. Uh, Whereas you can show a thousand guys getting killed and decapitated or whatever. That's still fine and rated R. Or but a thousand some, naked ladies. Fully right, naked. and a thousand late naked ladies too. But erect penis, that is too much for right. our uh, constitution. So I think that mentality kind of carries over into the TV world, even though HBO doesn't answer to the MPAA. They could show ten erect penises if they wanted to, but they don't. Plus we also doubt that Theon would be erect in that situation, right? That is true. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I don't know. I, I I completely agree with this email on the one hand. While on the other hand, I'm kind of tired of being the person who's forever like, more penises, please. But like, just equality. Like, <laughs> equality, please. That's that's what I mean. So, Right. Well, let me let me ask this question. This is something that me and my, my fellow show watchers have speculated about. Do you think that there is a situation where Theon is enduring ongoing sexual violence at the hands of Ramsay? Mm, that is interesting. I think... Uh... I think the show leaves that as an open possibility, right? But I don't think it's ever – it's not in the text of the show. Like I don't think you can watch the show and then interpret that to say that Ramsey is continuing to – like if Ramsey, Ramsey is inflicting sexual violence on him. Joanna Robinson, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's clear cut, but I think that's definitely like yeah, – especially the- if you have a psychology background that I don't. Um, you could probably pick out those signs that that is happening yeah. for sure. Yeah. So anyway, a lot of troubling stuff uh, on the show, but um, you know, I, I think uh, your argument for equality is a reasonable <laughs> one, even if it is in this horrible <laughs> in well, the field of yeah. And know, I'm not like I effects need to of see... sexual violence. Yeah, I, I don't need to see beyond you know, maimed in that way. But I also didn't need to see Roz maimed in that way. Right. So that's exactly. that's what I'm saying. And um, more than like the inequality of the show bothers me less than some of the arguments that I hear from fans who get pissed off when we talk about this. When they say frankly ignorant things like women aren't as interested in the male form as men are in the female form. I mean that is like deeply sexist and ignorant. And so that And we, and we have me. gotten emails to that effect. Yeah. So, yeah. And on like on Twitter all the time. That really really upsets me. Yeah. The show gender nudity inequality HBO nonsense. I'm over that. But I am not over people like can we just accept that it is incorrect a flaw and be okay with that while not like trying to defend it because it's indefensible right and i think and i think that's why we continue bringing it up is because if everyone who listened to this podcast was like hey john and dave completely agree with you right on you know then we probably (laughs) wouldn't feel the need to talk about it again but time and time whenever it's brought up it's always literally dozens of comments and emails saying you're wrong, like or make, making some kind of morally indefensible argument uh, about why the show is fine doing what it's doing, and uh, I guess that's why we feel the need to rearticulate uh, our issues with it. So, right. anyway, uh, this email comes in from Dennis from Vienna, uh, and we kind of already touched upon this, uh, but. Uh, Let's see. Here we go. I really am no book purist. In a lot of ways, I even prefer the way some characters are handled in the show. 
And I did like the relationship between TV Shay and Tyrion a lot more in the show, but I always thought there was a reason for those changes. They made her a much more sympathetic character, and you really believe the relationship with Tyrion, whereas Book Shay was obviously a very opportunistic woman using Tyrion. I was absolutely on board for those changes, looking forward to seeing how they would influence that tragic ending, but they simply didn't change it at all. I was really disappointed in that. I was convinced there was some long-standing plan behind those changes that will have some significant consequences. But instead, they just simply ended up at the same place, which just doesn't make any sense to me considering how different Shay was in the show. It started at the trial where they basically implied that she was just out for revenge instead of being uh, bought or intimidated by the Lannisters and concluded with a bedroom scene that played out the same way that it did in the book. I think this is a big misstep and very similar to what happened earlier this season with Jamie and Cersei. What used to be the result of this immense passion between two lovers of the book suddenly became very close to rape or actual rape. Uh, the same way Book Shay's motivations are somewhat clear, she just follows whoever has power and money, it just doesn't make any sense with TV Shay, who truly seemed to love Tyrion and never wanted to leave him. I'd really just like to hear your opinions on that subject. Uh, end quote. So we, I actually alluded to this email in last week's episode, but I thought I'd read the whole thing because uh, it's interesting. And now looking back on last week, we can kind of assess how we thought about the finale. Uh, I think a lot of people listening to our podcast episode last week, John Robinson, uh, concluded, that, like, concluded that the finale was disappointing and that we articulated a lot of the reasons why it was disappointing. And I, I guess you know, one question is thoughts on difference between Book Shay and Show Shay – and overall, like, were you sort of positive on the finale looking back on it now? Um, I don't know. I feel like I've talked about some of the differences between Bookshay and Shoshay a little too much maybe already in this episode. But, uh, you know, I completely agree with this email. I'm 100% on board with this email. They, I read an interview where they said, I think it was uh, Dan Weiss said that when they interviewed the actress – or when they auditioned the actress, they thought she had more depth to her than just the one-dimensional character that she is in the book. So they decided to make her more interesting. But if you're going to do that, you have to do it to an end, right? To a purpose, to change the conclusion uh, in some way of her life. And they didn't. And in terms of how I feel about the finale, I like what Micah said about, you know, we got three finales. And if that's true, then I really liked the episode eight finale. That was great. <laughs> that was a great episode. Um, <laughs> and um, we all know I had problems with episode nine. And I liked parts of episode 10, um, ex- especially, as I mentioned, the Brienne and the Hound fight. So I think what I would say with a little bit of distance is that I was pleasantly surprised and engaged by the by things that I wasn't expected to encounter and disappointed in the things that I was anticipating. And I will own that that is probably a lot of that is my fault as a book reader, overly getting my hopes up too high and overly anticipating certain things. And then to not have them play out the way that I wanted to, that makes me petulant and disappointed. Whereas if I went in not knowing anything, you know, of course, I I probably would have enjoyed the whole thing and been surprised and, and delighted. So I guess... That's my assessment. I will. I think me reading the book is to my detriment uh, in this particular case, and I will own that. So, uh, Micah and I are like Adam and Eve before the fall of man. Basically, <laughs> we, I, do, I, do, I do have. Uh, I do have one question for Joanna. I had this is the one spoiler I've been carrying with me that I think it's like safe to talk about now. Uh, somebody told me a good friend of mine who read the books told me that 
Shay was gonna going to betray Tyrion, that that character was gonna betray Tyrion, but he also told me, uh, from my recollection, that Tyrion that Shay was in Tywin's pocket the entire time, and that that was. So I was expecting when I watched the show, uh, I was not surprised when Shay came into court and testified against Tyrion, but I was also waiting for another kicker where it would be revealed that the entire time she was with Tyrion, she was reporting to Tywin. So I, I'm very unclear as to uh, how much of this is just my imagination and my own speculation, or was there a character in the book in addition to the, uh, in addition to the whore that Tyrion married when he was younger? Uh, yeah. Well, that was the case. What, was there another character that uh, was not Shay in the books that that was in Tywin's pocket the whole time? I I can't think of anyone matching that description. No, so I'm confused. <laughs> well, in any case, in any case, that would have been a bitch. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a bitch to find well, out. And, I, and I had some. Time. There were we got an email. I think it was an email, but someone someone's interpretation of the show, the TV show, was that that was the case because. Bronn comes in with Shay when we first meet her and says, oh, I got it from someone else's tent. And someone wrote in, I think, or something was like, what if it was Tywin's tent, mind blown, and she <laughs> was working for Tywin the whole time? But I don't think there's uh, enough evidence to support that. So, And I, I really – I was really uh, – I wouldn't say I was disappointed because I just try to take the, the show on its own merits apart from what's happening in the books. But uh, I will say that looking back, that – payoff was incredibly well set up by the strong warnings that Tywin gave Tyrion against taking uh, Shay to the capital. So it, it mm. does seem it, – it, I mean it would have just blown my mind and I think a lot of people's mind to discover that. This calls for a, a Roost Change video uh, <laughs> that, that, does, yes. that deals with Shay. The, the Shay honeypot theory. I may actually investigate this possibility. <laughs> so <laughs> – so uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll look into that. Now, thanks for that, Micah. Uh, I'm, now, I'm, now I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about it. You won't be able to sleep. Yep. All right. Uh, that's all the emails we have at this point. Um, so uh, thank you guys so much for writing in to us at a cast of kings at gmail dot com. Now um, a lot of people are probably going to be wondering what's going to happen next year. Is the show going to be back? The way it'll work. Uh, the way it worked this year. Jonah Robinson, as I recall, is I think we literally sent out a tweet each about the Kickstarter uh, to to see if people were interested in uh, funding our podcast uh, this year. Uh, and I anticipate it will probably go down the same way next year. Uh, probably we will tweet out from the cast of Kings and also uh, on Twitter and also on Facebook as well, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, that's probably what's going to happen is like within the three to six weeks before the season five premiere, you'll see a tweet or a Facebook post go out from those accounts. And that's when you'll know. That's, the bat, that's our bat signal. That's when you'll know. Like, that's us this, sending the raven. Yep. This right. is us. Like, uh, we're starting uh, again, and we need your assistance to get, get us through this thing. So uh, you guys can look forward to that. That's how you'll know that this uh, show is on its way back. I know some people were disappointed that they didn't get to contribute to the Kickstarter. Um, well, you know, either because they just want to give us more money or they wanted to have their name read on air. And all I can say is, I mean... The Kickstarter is up there for a while. It gets funded pretty quickly, but it's up there for a while. So really do follow follow the Facebook page. Um, for follow, follow the Facebook page and like check it. 
You know, yeah. like, like if you check it uh, in guaranteed, like within a month of season five premiering, it, there's going to be some info there. So, and I mean, we don't broadcast it too much because it's, because it's a very tasteless activity. It is. It is. <laughs> you want to like put your you quietly whisper your Kickstarter into the universe, and then if it gets funded, you're like, cool. I didn't have to like put my hat out. That was great. Yes. So I, I I disagree. I don't think. I don't think Kickstarters are distasteful, and I think that you guys approach. I think that you guys approach the show and approach your Kickstarter with a, an appropriate degree of solemnity. But uh, I, I do, I do seem to remember that the Kickstarter was fulfilled really quickly, and I remember thinking, "Man, I bet they could get a lot more money." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, from my from my company and other companies, but. <laughs> Uh, it's also, I think, a good opportunity to a kick, any Kickstarter is an opportunity to promote the cause that you're kickstarting, and I think that it would be an opportunity to maybe find some new listeners. Yeah, definitely, right. definitely. That's now, um, you know, we we joke about how distasteful and craven it is to launch Kickstarter, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, I mean, I, I have launched several Kickstarters, um, Micah, most of them with Joanna Robinson. But uh, also, I recently kickstarted a film that I'm working on, so I'm not um, I'm not at all against Kickstarter. I'm very much into the process. I think we're we're being facetious a little bit. Well, we're not like against making the Kickstarter. I'm just kind of against like constantly talking about my Kickstarter. Yeah, whereas I sense. am totally fine with it. <laughs> but I respect Joanna's wishes. So, <laughs> and I mean, I'm not going to promise anything. But we did get some lucrative, or not lucrative, some some tantalizing ideas about. Um, doing a season one i don't know we got some some interesting thoughts about that and um because we never did the podcast for season one right so to go back and do that and i mean dave and i need some time off from each other because he's <laughs> probably wants to kill me like all of the time but uh, game of thrones style yes <laughs> yes but we don't have breaking bad this year so who knows question mark what yeah. we might do this fall. So. That's right. That's right. Um, so, and, and Joanna Robinson, you're going to have to share these tantalizing thoughts about this podcast with me because uh, I haven't heard them yet. So, uh, but we will uh, keep an eye on the Facebook page and uh, follow us on Twitter uh, on both platforms at a cast of Kings. Um, so Micah, any other questions or thoughts you want to share before we wrap up for today? Yeah, I do have one really disappointing note. Uh, I, I thought that Let's there was Let's end a on l- that then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, one of my favorite episodes from the first season was called A Crown for a King. And I, I thought it was, uh, I, I loved seeing Khal Drogo pour gold onto, um, onto Viserys' head and kill him. And I just, I felt like the name of that episode was great. And I was really disappointed that the episode that contained Tywin's death was not called A Crap for a King. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would have been great, but nice. You know, I do feel like I got a lot, uh, both from uh, the show this season and from you guys. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, definitely. And thanks so much for supporting us. And it's that kind of incisive humor <laughs> that you will find at Scene Magazine, s c e n e e n t dot com. <laughs> Check it out. Oh, also, we have. Uh, I just did an interview with John Bradley, who plays um, Sam. Who plays Samuel Tarley, so feel free to go check that out, and I'll probably put the audio of it up on our website sometime in the next week or two. Excellent. Nice tie-in. Um, so yeah, check that out at S-C-E-N-E-E-N-T.com, Micah, again, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. 
closing thoughts, Jan Robinson, before we wrap up for a year? Or just tell people where they can find you. Up to you. Um, I will miss everyone, honestly. Like, I get a little, little burned out. Except then a week goes by and I miss everyone. So I will miss you guys. That's that's my closing thought. Um, I'm glad that you know Game of Thrones has been renewed and renewed, and and hopefully we'll be back year after year to do this. I wish we could do it all year round with some breaks. And I'm rambling <laughs> a lot, so I'll just finally say that you can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. I do another. A TV podcast called The Station Agents, um, and you can find that on iTunes. And I we just started um, RC Dispatch is the name of the other podcast I do that has to do with Legend of Korra. I thought it was going to have a more of a break from that, but that's coming back this week, in fact. So we actually already recorded our first episode. You can find us on Twitter at RC Dispatch, and I'm sorry I don't have all of the information in front of me, but that is where you can hear me natter on about television. Uh, very cool. And yeah, you can find that on iTunes too at Republic City Dispatch um, with, uh, I think, a, a guy I know as well, right? Or a couple yeah, guys I know. Devendra yeah, Devendra Hardwar. Devendra Hardwar of the Slash Homecast, another podcast I host. Yeah. Um, I am directing a movie in the next year. By the time uh, we come back for the next cast of Kings, uh, I will have directed a film. So uh, you can check that out at theprimaryinstinct.com. The, right now that goes to our Kickstarter, and eventually it's going to go to our um, uh, the film page. Uh, but yeah, check that out. Uh, I've already shown it to a few people, and I think it's going to be something that people uh, who uh, are even tangentially – who even might have a smidgen of affection for any of my work – uh, will enjoy. So hopefully that encompasses a lot of the people on this podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at Dave Chensky, that's Dave Chen S-K-Y, or on my website at DaveChen.net. So that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to A Cast of Kings. We will see you guys next year. <laughs>